Last week, there was a challenging message. I don't know if it was challenging for you. It was challenging for me. I was trying to share some biblical truth about, really about believing. Believing God, not just believing in God. And the real thrust of the message, if you weren't here, was really that God is really calling us into a supernatural life transformation in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what he's calling us to. And there's a supernatural part of that, of course, because as far as it is up to us and part of it is up to us. The up to us part is the believing. The believing. Now, our belief, if it is going to turn into a faith-filled belief, cannot just be an intellectual assent to believe, right? It just can't be. Because we saw last week this fellow in Scripture, and his name was Thomas. Most of us are familiar with Thomas. Thomas was the guy that just struggled with believing. He struggled with believing. Because Thomas was a show-me guy. He said, I got to see. I just have to see. Now, Jesus knew this, of course, and even though Thomas was just being honest uh, in Scripture, Thomas said this. He said, unless I see, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Ooh, that's a pretty firm statement, right? But you see, then Jesus shows up on the scene. In fact, he comes into the room. And the reason that Thomas didn't believe is because his cohorts, all of his boys were there and they had seen Jesus because Jesus had been in the grave and they had seen him. Jesus was risen. But Thomas didn't believe. He just didn't believe. Jesus shows up on the scene and immediately Jesus goes right to Thomas. I love this part. Thomas, the unbeliever. Jesus said, Thomas, see, touch. Thomas, see, touch. And then Jesus said something that was just really profound. Just before Thomas said something that was profound, Jesus said, Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. And, of course, last week we saw that Thomas's response to that was, oh, my Lord and my God, how could you not have any other response than that? It was at that very moment that Thomas had a faith-filled belief. Thomas had faith. So Jesus made it really, really clear in this passage that there is an inextricable link between belief and faith. Amen? They are linked because anybody can believe. See, salvation was on the line here for Thomas. He, he was not a believer. And so we know from the whole of Scripture that you can't just believe because James 2.19 says simply this. Even the demons believe. Dot, dot, dot. And shudder. But why did they shudder? Why did the demons believe and shudder? 
They shuddered, you see, because they believed, but they did not have a faith-filled belief. There was no faith. Because this Jesus that Thomas now knew, he is both the author and the perfecter of Thomas's faith and yours. You see, those that believe, purely from an intellectual point of view, without faith, can't possibly have a faith-filled belief. So Scripture makes it clear that faith is supernatural, that supernatural component to believing, and without it, by the way, you are just deceived, and you are subject to Colossians 2.8. Empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Because anybody can just believe. Anybody. Now, we considered two different sources last week when we were talking about this, and we were confronted with a couple of important questions about believing. First, I brought up the point that the, that the Pew Research group had a poll, and they asked people, do you believe in God? So those of you that were here, you remember that 90% of the people said, yes, I believe in God. But then they asked the question, which means, by the way, the 10% don't. And then they asked the question of this big sampling of people, but do you believe in the God of the Bible? And, of course, the percentage went way down. And so, essentially, when they asked if you believe in the by of, the, of the God of the Bible, uh, 10% still said no. But 34% said, well, maybe, kind of, sort of, I, uh, I, uh, I believe in uh, higher power. But the 56% were clear. They believed in the God of the Bible. And that's really interesting, especially if you're an analytical like me. I, I love numbers. And what does that mean? What does that mean? But you might also remember that last week I also quoted a Dr. David Ludden. And Dr. David Ludden was a psychologist that wrote an article in Psychology Today. And he asked a different question, which I think is a really good question for you and for me. And the question wasn't, do you believe in God? The question was, why do you believe in God? Now, I love that. And you might remember that he came to a conclusion, this Dr. Ludden. Dr. Ludden came to a conclusion because of his Darwinian, that means that he believed in evolution, that was his worldview. He believed that simply, if you were a reasoned person and if you were intelligent, there was no need to believe in God because there was no need for God. Which simply means that if you're here and you believe in God, that you're unreasonable and unintelligent, right? I mean, that's the conclusion that he came to. So suffice it to say, Dr. Ludden, the PhD, concluded that... You and I are in this 56% group because, frankly, we're just not that smart. But the funny thing is, I agree with that part because I'm frankly not that smart. But what I don't agree with is he's got it wrong. I might not be very smart, but I do believe. Amen? Okay. So anyway, he's wrong. But there you have it. You know, that's his world... That's his worldview. His worldview is, is that you can't be reasonable and believe in God. So why do people believe in God? I guess it's because they're not smart, according to him. Because he believes that you see you have not evolved to his level of intellect and reason. You see, in his worldview, it was all about him. 
So if you haven't evolved to that particular point from his world view, of course you're not going to believe. Now that's very interesting, but I'd like to reframe the question. Because last week, and we really kind of wrestled with this last week, because the reframing of the question from here to there, I'm including myself in this, of course, is not do you believe in God or why do you believe in God, but do you believe God? Do you believe God? So now this week, I think we need to answer that question. Do you believe God? Because after all, to believe God... Don't you first have to believe in God? Yes? Okay. Of course you do. Otherwise, the question doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why would you believe God if you don't even believe in God? So what does it mean, then, to believe God? Because it takes a lot more than just believing in him to believe him. Because back to James 2.19, I mean, even the demons believe. Satan himself believes. Satan himself believes in God, clearly. So there's something more that is necessary. There is something more that is necessary to get to the point where you believe God. First, of course... You have to start by believing in him. But believing God necessitates faith. And there's just this simply amazing supernatural thing about this truth that your faith starts with first you believing in. You've got to start by believing in God in order to even have faith because where does faith come from? Romans 12:3. By the grace given to me. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Where does faith come from? Amen. You see, God's grace is a gift. The faith that God gave you that you have right now, if you are a faith-filled believer, came from God. This is really good news. I like the King James Version that says, as opposed to God having assigned faith, the King James says, God dealt it. God dealt you faith. I like that. The NIV says, God distributed faith. And in the NLT, it says, God just gave you faith. Anytime anybody gives you something, it's a gift. Faith is a gift. But I'd be completely remiss this morning in talking about this if I didn't let you know that if you have a faith-filled belief, you also have supernatural power. It's the funniest thing. Let me say this again. If you have a faith-filled belief... You have supernatural power. Thank you very much. I knew we could get an amen out of that. See, this is a biblical truth. But how often do you sit in a place like this and just realize that I have got supernatural power? 
And where does that come from? God. (laughs) See, he gives you that the same way he gives you faith. See, it's not even your faith. It's his faith. He gave it to you. It came from him. It belongs to him. But he gave it to you. The same as he gave you supernatural power. First Corinthians two, five. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power of God is in you if you have a faith filled belief. I love first Peter. First Peter one, five is talking about God's abundant Absolutely abundant mercy to us. And God is merciful. Amen. So in talking about the mercy. In first Peter, in this passage, he's also talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, without which you would have no faith, filled belief or power. And then he talks about an inheritance that is reserved for you in heaven. Can I get a. Come on. And then finally, first Peter one five says through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. Through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. (laughs) I don't know, man. I might be running around the building if I were you. Second Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 simply says, and I'm just going to read the part that I like. Ah, I guess that's the whole thing. It says, therefore, we always pray for you that our God will count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. Mark was talking about God being good and good and good and good because he is. That is one of his attributes, his goodness. God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are powerful statements because God's power is in you. Through the faith that he gave you. That you then exercise. Because if you believe. And have faith filled belief. It leads to trust. Which leads to action. And the only action that you can take comes out of the power that he gave you. You see it's not him. It came from him. These are just a couple of the references, by the way, about the power of God that is in you. And sometimes, guys, it blows me away that we can be passive about that. How can you be passive about having the power of God in you that starts with believing and having faith that he gave you? To give you the power, every bit of power that you need to do everything for his purposes to his glory. Hello. So if you're going to get to that place where you believe God, it obviously has to start with first believing in him. Otherwise, it just wouldn't make sense and you'd be stuck in the 10% group, right? You don't want to be in that 10% group. In fact, I'm not sure you even want to be in the 34% group because that particular group of people that say that they believe in a God, little g, or somehow a higher power of some kind, I like to call that being in the kumbaya state. How does that song go? Kumbaya. You ever seen that around the fire? That's where these people live. They live in that kumbaya state, right? Because they live there, they sing there. 
They put the bumper sticker on their car that says coexist there. They think it's beautiful. Because, man, we're just spiritual. Aren't we just spiritual? Because aren't we all just spiritual? I mean, we live in Ojai, for gosh sakes. This is a spiritual place. And it must be a spiritual place. Because there's a mountain range. Have you heard this one? There's the mountain range that goes east and west instead of north and south. It's one of the few places in the world where there's an east and west mountain range. So somehow or another, that makes this a really spiritual place. And then people like Christian Murdy are attracted to this particular place. Now, Christian Murdy himself, I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but he came to this place. He loved Ojai. He loved the orange trees. He set up an entire organization based on Eastern philosophical thought that I know a little something about. And he said this, because Ojai is so kumbaya. Christian Murdy said this. Listen, it's beautiful, man. A man who believes in God can never find God. If you are open to reality, there can be no belief in reality. Only when the mind is wholly silent, completely inactive, not projecting, when it is not seeking and it is utterly still, only then... That which is eternal and timeless comes into being. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Seriously. It's really beautiful until you realize that you have to think about whether or not you're going to empty your mind or fill your mind. Because the truth of the matter is that Philippians 4.8 in the Amplified, just for you, Mark, in the Amplified, says simply this, powerful comparative to Christian Murdy's thought. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right, and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome and whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here it comes. Think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. These opposites just can't coexist, can't they? Take the bumper sticker off your car. It's really a contrast. But that's the world that we live in. When we're trying to get to the point that we believe in God so that we can believe God. Back to Colossians that says, don't be fooled by this stuff, guys. Don't be fooled by it. So biblically, which means truthfully. Belief is a conviction of truth or accepting something that is true, right? That's what belief is. And faith, which is completely and totally aligned with belief. Faith is totally and completely aligned with belief. And faith is an attitude of complete, this is the biblical definition of faith, is an attitude of complete confidence in Christ, which is closely aligned to and naturally leads to trust. And biblical trust, then, 
is that which is complete confidence in and assured reliance on the integrity and justice of God along with his trustworthiness. Now, belief, faith, trust, action, they all tie together. And they got to start with believing in before you can even believe a faith-filled belief. I think this is good stuff. You see, because God wants us to freely live. The key word here is freely live. That's two words. God wants you to freely live a faith-filled belief. Trusting and acting in his power. That's the power of the spirit. Amen. Because you can't do it on your own. So if you're trying. This morning. If you're trying to follow Jesus. And you're trying to do it in your own strength. Will you just stop? It doesn't work. You can't do anything in the spirit in your strength. It doesn't work. So just stop trying and surrender and submit to the truth that your faith-filled belief comes with power. Now, every faith-filled believer in this room has a story. Amen? That may be the biggest amen we've heard all morning. Every faith-filled believer has a story. You have to. And we know that what we first do to even have a story is believe. So when you first believe, you have the beginning of your story. And then God is the one that gives you the faith. But it starts with believing. And the cool thing is, I don't know if you've been around the horn, but some of you, I just look at your age and I can tell you've been around the horn more than once. (laughs) I'm just saying. Is that a bad thing to say? I I meant that in, in, in the most gracious way possible. But the cool thing is, you see, there's no two stories that are alike. There are no two faith-filled believers in this room that have the same story. See, there are two retinas. You have a retina in each eye, and guess what? Yours are unique. Nobody has your retina, and it makes you unique. And so does your fingerprint. This is by God's design. Blows me away. How the whole world, billions of people on this planet, and no two fingerprints are the same. It's on a little finger. I have no idea how that works. No two stories are alike in coming to belief. October 10th, 1993. I find myself driving over the Maricopa Highway to a place in Taft called Air Adventures West. Now we're going, we meaning my wife and I, We're going over there to do tandem skydives because she said so. 
See, the challenge with that is, is that the last thing in the world that I would ever want to do is jump out of an airplane. But she said that she wanted to do this. And after having just spent a pretty tumultuous year or two in our marriage that included a separation, I was convinced that I needed to do anything and everything possible in the reconciliation process. And so I told her, so, honey, I will do anything, never in a million years, <laughs> thinking that it would include this but off we went off we went we drove over the hill we got up there and and you know they anybody been i know some of you have done this before uh and so you go to do a tandem skydive and what happens is is that there's these young buff dudes right and and they strap you onto a young buff dude which is a little awkward for some of us uh, the next thing I know, um, I'm climbing into this airplane, and we're going to go up to like 13,000 feet, and you're really going to get cinched in with this guy, which is kind of awkward. And uh, and if you've never done this before, it's really bizarre because if you – I did it with my wife, and so there was all these people, and they got out before us, right, like quite a few of them, and then we're like the last two, but I'm like the last one. Huh. And so, you know, they waddle up to the door like this, you know, and <laughs> – and then and the guy's connected to, to your wife or maybe it's whatever. And so and then all of a sudden you hear this whoosh, and they're gone. They're like, I mean, like gone, gone. And the only crazy thing is, is that, you know, you're next. So this is this is a this is a hard thing to to to, to work through. So we did this, you see, and then we got on the ground, and I was so excited, not for the skydive, but for it to be over. <laughs> Literally, I kissed the ground. I really did. I kissed the ground. It was just to be fun, but I meant it. <laughs> I was so glad this was over so that I never, ever, ever had to do it again. <sighs> that was the good part of it. Until, of course, my wife, who was so liberated by the experience and so excited by it, announced to me that she had signed both of us up to go back the following weekend and learn how to become licensed skydivers. Have you ever said anything in your life that you wish you could take back? Like, honey, I'll do anything to reconcile this marriage. But no, I wasn't manly enough to say I couldn't do that, even though I was scared to death. I was terrified by the whole experience. I mean, literally terrified. And so you go through these training jumps, right? And so each training jump for me got progressively worse, and each training jump for her got progressively better. I watched this woman go through this whole process, and like with grace and with athleticism, neither of which I had seen in her before, uh, and with enthusiasm, she just like, whoosh, she goes right through the training, and she becomes a certified skydiver, and uh, me, not so much. You see, because on every jump... Because I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I was terrified. I was literally terrified. I was terrified to go there. I was terrified to get in my... I was terrified when they put the parachute on me. I was terrified when I got in the airplane. I was terrified to get to the door. The best part of the skydive for me was always landing. Thinking that, that something would happen, I would never have to do it again. But... My student jumped number 16, February 26, 1998. Seems like a long time ago, but to me, trust me, it seems like it was yesterday. I'll never forget it. 
You see, most people progress through the skydiving thing pretty quickly. As students, you have to pass these seven levels of proficiency in order to get an A license. And these seven levels, they usually they call them jumps, right? So you jump seven times or however many times it takes if you don't particularly pass one, seven to ten times, right, to get through all seven levels. I'm on jump number 16. I'm on level two. So on this particular jump, jump number 16, I get loaded up, geared up, get in the airplane with my instructor. We climb to 12,500 feet, and it's noisy in the airplane, and it's really noisy when you get out of the airplane, and he gives you hand signals. And the, and the, the whole jump was really about just learning how to, how to turn properly and control your body in the air and those kinds of things. And they give you hand signals, so in the airplane, he's saying which means relax, relax. This is like an oxymoron to me. We're going to jump out of this airplane again, and I don't even want to. And you're asking me to relax. This is not possible. So on this particular jump, the first 30 seconds, because I think after 16 jumps, I was about a 30-second skydiver. The problem is they last about a minute. So, on this particular jump, the idea was to do a 360-degree turn and then face your jump master. So you had to be able to turn and stop and look at him and smile. And then he would have you turn the other way. So you turn around the other way, 360 degrees, and stop and smile. And I was supposed to do that three times. And after the third time, then you would wave off and you would deploy your parachute. It would open. Everything's fine. You go to the ground and then you would do a debrief. And he'll tell you that, you know, your leg positions were good or they were bad. And this is, you know, he would, it was a debrief. But this particular jump didn't quite go that way. So... On the third spin, that was really supposed to be a turn, but no, it wasn't a turn. It went bad. Uh, so the spin turned and turned and turned, and I couldn't stop it, and it was fast. Um, during the process of this spinning, uh, I completely lost altitude awareness, uh, and I panicked. And all I know is that in the training, as a student, um, they teach you that there's only one important thing on every skydive, and that is to get what? A parachute over your head. Otherwise, the end result is not good. So in this flat spin that was uncontrolled that I couldn't stop, I'm panicked because I'm looking, and the ground is coming up very quickly. And I knew that I had to get a parachute over my head, so I deployed the canopy. I had no clue that I had flipped upside down, and the entire canopy and the parachute came up between my legs and wrapped me up. My whole body was wrapped up like a, like a mummy. Um, immediately, I knew that this was not good. Because at that particular point, on that particular day, I find myself hurtling towards the earth at over 100 miles an hour, wrapped up in a parachute and parachute cords like a mummy with no conceivable way to get out of this. And I can remember resignation setting in. I just resigned myself. There's nothing I can do. It was a clear thought. There's nothing I can do. None of the student training had prepared me for this circumstance. None of it. 
the ground was approaching fastly. In fact, the people later on on the ground um, told me as they were watching that during this process, that it was like four or five seconds before the impact, that a parachute appeared over my head. And it inflated, and I hit the ground. I don't remember much of that part, but I can tell you that dazed, confused, but alive, I actually got up, gathered up the parachute, put it under my arm, and just started walking back to the drop zone. There was no blood. There was no broken bones. I had no conceivable clue how to even process what had just happened. No way to process it. So what does that have to do with faith-filled belief, you might be wondering? Because clearly I'm not a believer at the time. So here's the rest of the story quickly. Maybe you can imagine the emotional turmoil that I was going through at that particular point because that I had never had an experience like that before. <laughs> Thank God. But the question haunted me. How did that happen? How did I get wrapped up? And really, how did that come off? How did it become untangled? Because in my mind, as the ground was approaching quickly, I just assumed that that was it. It haunted me. It haunted me and it haunted me. So I started this journey because I had to have the answer. I'm an analytical. I needed to know. And I was a complete basket case, trust me. But I was convinced that there was an answer to how that parachute came unwrapped and ended up over my head to save my life that day. So I went into New Age philosophy, trying to find the answer there. And I went into crystals and Eastern religion. I studied Buddhism, practiced Buddhism. I I went down the meditation route, the Christian Murdy route, where I had to empty my mind. But there was nothing. Some people say there's nothing in my mind anyway. But there's there was nothing there. It was empty. It was all empty. I was a mess. Quite frankly, I was a workaholic. I was an alcoholic. I was a controlaholic. My life was a mess. And now I'm an emotional mess on top of it because I can't figure out why I'm even here. The crazy thing is I... I never even considered God. Crazier than that is, you see, I already had made some pretty important decisions about this God that I knew nothing about. I had a really strong opinion about not only God, but about this. Although I'd never picked one up and read it, I had a really strong opinion about it, and it wasn't positive. So as a last resort, <laughs> after a couple of years of trying to discover, um, I shared this the other day at the, before the barbecue. See, I, I found myself, I'm this crazy, I found myself buying this Bible. And when I did, I opened it and I started reading it. And I got to tell you, I'm blown away by what it says because I don't understand like almost any of it. 
But the one thing I do is I see God, 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 and I see people in there, and they are like messed up. Some of the people in here are messed up way more than me. I'm actually encouraged by how messed up they are. And it's real. It's like I'm trying to figure out, is this, is this true? Because, man, these people were like, I think we're going to get to heaven. and We're going to hear, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. I find myself going to a church. I end up in a church after all of this. I don't even know why, but I end up going to a church. I have no recollection of of having this being a reasoned decision, but I just go there and I go to this church and then they tell me that I can get saved there. But I don't have the slightest idea what that means, because all I want is the answer to the question. I've been searching this out for a couple of years. I've been trying to find the answer to the question. Why did this unwrap? But at this church, I'm starting to learn about things like love and forgiveness and grace and faith and things that I had never been exposed to before. And I actually like it. I like what I'm hearing, even though I don't understand it. For some reason, there was some comfort, but it didn't answer the question. At this point, I'm actually introduced to Christian radio. Did you know there was Christian radio? I had no clue. So I turn it on and I start listening to it like every day. Like all day, every day. I can't turn it off. Because there's the radio preacher guy and and this radio preacher guy, there's a bunch of radio preacher guys. It's like they change every 30 minutes. There's a new radio preacher guy. and And they're talking about this stuff and I can't turn it off. Then I'm going to this church that I'm going to on Sundays. I've only been there a few weeks. And, and, and the preacher guy there is telling me, he says, listen, don't complicate this coming to faith in Jesus thing. And I'm like freaked out because the radio preacher the day before said, hey, don't complicate this coming to faith in Jesus thing. Now I think that they're in cahoots somehow or another. <laughs> Seriously. And I like what I'm hearing, but believe me, I am still a complete mess. So then the local preacher guy at the local church that I'm going to, down the street over here, he says something that I had never experienced before, and here it comes. At the end of church, this preacher guy, who I've never met, I know his name, but I never shook his hand. I've only been there like three weeks or so four weeks, whatever it is. And maybe you've had this experience before. I've never had this experience before. At the end of church, he says, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you have made a decision for Jesus today, raise your hand. Well, that was easy for me. I mean, I wanted to be obedient, so I closed my eyes and I bowed my head. But... I was not even anywhere near ready to be raising my hand because I had no idea what he was talking about. But then he says, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. And then he says, praise God. I'm still trying to figure out who God is. I don't even know. I've been going to church for three weeks. 
So I don't raise my hand that day, but the preacher guy there, he gives me an out. Now I'm seeking answers. I got no answers. I am not about to answer. Uh, I find out later it's an altar call, right? I'm not ready to do that. I don't know what it means. I can't figure it out. I just want the answer to why. What's my purpose even? That's what I'm trying to figure out. But this preacher guy says, listen, if you didn't raise your hand today, you know, you don't need to. It's okay. You can go home. And I kid you not, this is what he says. He says, you can simply go home and get on your knees in your closet, turn off the light, and you can say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Simply because Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, I wrote it down. I remember what he said. But then he got me with this. After he said that Jesus proclaimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, he simply says, and without coming to Jesus, there is simply no other way to find eternal life and your purpose in life. Oh, I got to tell you, for a guy that was completely out of control, my life was a mess. I'm trying to find answer. And this guy uses the purpose word. That's what I was looking for. So you know what I did? I ran out of that church, literally. And I got in my car and I drove straight home because he told me to get in the closet. I didn't know what else to do. So I did. I went home and I got in the closet because that's what he told me to do. And I had no idea what was going to happen next. No clue. You see, I didn't know if I believed. I didn't know if I didn't believe. I didn't know if I just wanted to believe. But he used the purpose word. And for two and a half years, my full-time job was trying to find purpose. Why was I here? Why was I here? And I came literally out of the closet. whole different meaning I came out of the closet and honestly after that two and a half year odyssey when I came out of that closet everything radically changed in that moment somehow God knew the God that I still wasn't sure if I believed but I went in the closet and I asked him will you show me purpose that's the only thing I knew to do because the preacher guy told me I should do it And the very first thing he did, because now remember, this is after church, and so it's like 1 o'clock and so forth, an alcoholic, it's way past time. And I come out of the closet, and the first thing I think i got to do is i got to go get a drink. And the thought of going to get a drink at that very moment made me physically ill. And instead of going to the kitchen to get a drink, I went to the bathroom and threw up. You think God didn't get my attention? The thought... Of the drink made me physically ill. And not only that, I had a pretty big mouth on me. And in that very moment, that mouth was clean. Those words didn't come out. I couldn't, I couldn't even speak the language that I was speaking before. And that downcast attitude after two and a half years of painfully being emotionally wrecked 
trying to find the answer to purpose and what had happened at that skydiving incident two and a half years prior. You see, God made it clear. I walked out of the closet and he just gave me the answer to the purpose question. And I didn't even understand it. I just believed it because I was ready to believe. And he gave me the faith to believe. This happened in 1998 in the last two weeks. I figured this out. The rest of the story goes something like this. Very briefly, you might think that probably after an experience like that, isn't it great that God saves sinners like us? <laughs> See, now all of a sudden I'm starting to live in this. But you might think that there is no way that he's going back to the drop zone. Oh, but there's a God has a sense of humor. So I find myself in the car. Now, I couldn't get near an airplane or even think about skydiving because emotionally I am like done. I'm toast. Even after being saved, I am like toast when it comes to thinking about skydiving. So I go because my wife had continued to skydive. Now, this is like four years later, right? And so she tells me about skydiving. Ah, I don't want to hear that. It's <laughs> you know, a little bit. Just a little sensitive. And so anyway, I go up there and, you know, having like this uh, lunch, you know, and 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 we're and it's and <clears throat> so what happens is the sun goes down every night and they have this thing called a, a sunset load. And so the, some of the guys up there, they know me and I'm just sitting there and guess what I'm doing? <laughs> By this time, they know I'm a Jesus freak. I'm up there reading <laughs> this. And as a joke, one of the jump masters says, hey, Bill, you want to go and do a tandem on the sunset load? And I kid you not, without even thinking, I said, sure. What was I thinking? So anyway, long story even longer, because I tend to make long stories long. I just, <laughs> amen. I was telling my wife about the message that it just completely changed directions this week. I said, I was going in an entirely different direction. I had no idea I was going to share this story with you. I had no idea. She says, you'll be fine. They're going to be there for a couple of hours, but you'll be fine. <laughs> I get in the airplane and I do this tandem with them against, again, my complete better judgment. And it was fun. That's the craziest thing. It went from terror to fun, and the only thing difference in my life was Jesus. <laughs> I don't know how that works. So two weeks later, guess where I am? I'm at the drop zone in the student program, and I jumped seven times to pass seven levels, and 150 jumps later, they say, you should be a videographer, so they strap a camera on my helmet, and the next thing you know, the next 850 jumps, I'm a videographer. I'm on the payroll at the drop zone going into airplanes that I'm afraid of to jump out and become a videographer at the drop zone. You tell me that God isn't good. And some of us crazy. The point of all of this really is that you have a story. And you see, your story is unique. And I was challenged by somebody telling me their story this week. And I found myself saying, oh, I wish I had a story like that. 
because it was so simple. They came to faith so simply like that of a little child. And I worked so hard at this because at the time I was trying to discover who the heck I am had nothing to do with God. But God showed me who he is. some ways I wish I could take it all back because man there was a lot of trauma trust me last week I asked you to keep in the forefront of your mind the question do you believe God but in one week God can change things can he I no longer want you to keep that question in the forefront of your mind he asked me to reframe it for you in light of the fact that you have a story. See, by way of application, if we are going to trust God because we believe God, if we are going to trust him, which means that we are going to have a bold, competent, sure security in who he is in our life. And if you're going to believe and you're going to have a conviction about believing then just coming from my own personal story and my experience, i got to tell you, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you can be confident that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I ran across a proverb that you all have heard before, and I have recited it many, many, many times. And it's a command. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it simply says, Trust. We could just stop there, couldn't we? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Amen. That's my story. So I want to close this morning not with asking you to think about a question. I want to close this morning and... And I'm going to ask you this morning not to do it in a questioning way, but in a declarative way. Simply to just get to that point, because you can do it right here, right now. You don't have to go in a closet to do it. You can sit here right in church. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 30 minutes or 30 years. You can get to that point where right now you can just declaratively say, I believe Jesus and I trust him. Because you see, that's what he wants. He wants your heart. He wants you just to believe and to trust. Because if you believe and you trust, you see, everything else will come from that. To his glory. I believe Jesus and I trust him. Thank you, Mark, for earlier asking us to think and pray about how God had impacted us this week and then to speak it. Because I'm going to ask you to speak it. I believe Jesus... And I trust him. Oh, and I trust. See, that can be hard, can it? Can that be hard? Because you've got to decide if you do. I believe Jesus and I trust him. Because if you will declare that, I assure you, everything will change. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. It needs to be declared. It needs to be Declared, I believe Jesus and I trust him. So, 
Faith is a gift. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're told that in scripture. And I want to share this with you lastly. That the strength to walk this walk of faith comes from God. The same place that your faith comes from. Faith and strength. The power that you have in the spirit to walk the walk of faith comes from him. And seriously, believe it or not, guys, when you declare, and I mean declare, by saying these words, I believe Jesus and I trust him. I have like five bullet points here that I am going to, I am going to take a real risk and say that I can assure you that you can expect these things to happen if you will just get over your bad self and declare, I trust Jesus. I believe him and I trust him. You can expect to be more grateful and completely less stressed in your life. I assure you. You will be more focused on God's plan and way less focused on yours. And that's power. You will be more focused on others and way less focused on yourself because that's one of the biggest problems that we have. I assure you, you will be more focused after this declarative statement on your purpose. And that is regardless of your life circumstance. You will be focused when you believe and trust Jesus on your purpose in life. My story. And finally... I assure you, you will be more humble and less prideful. And all of these biblical truths are a powerful testimony to who he is. To who he is. That's what you can expect. So this morning, church, as we leave, and as we finish church, we're not going to bow our heads and raise our hands. We're not going to have an altar call. You can do it right where you sit. You can either for the first time put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for his finished work. Or if you've been following him and you can't, you're so old, you can't even remember when you didn't follow him. You can simply declare, I believe Christ Jesus And I trust him. And then you can tell your story. I challenge you to be able to come out of this place today. And with great confidence. Just tell your story. It matters. Don't be afraid to tell your story because your story isn't even about you. My story isn't even about me. My story is about Jesus. Your story is about Jesus because he's the one that did the work. Your story of faith is about Jesus Christ all to the glory of God. Amen. 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 Let's pray.
Whoo, Jesus. <laughs> you know, God, <laughs> sometimes we just need to get excited about the truth of who you are and how you're working in our story. God, we are a part of your story. And so, the Lord, as we sit in this place today, God, Lord, I'm praying for each one of us here that as we declare that we believe because we've already transitioned, God, from believing in. Now, God, we just want your help to believe and then trust so that, God, you would then give us the tremendous joy and peace that comes from that because it takes all the pressure off of us. Because our life even is about you. So God, would you help us in this place this morning just to be set free so that we could say, I believe Christ, I trust Christ because he is my life. Could you free us up to say that? See, because it's true. And there is so much power, God, in the declarative nature of truth. Not to be, not to be confused with what the world has to offer up. So God, thank you. I just want to, to close today by praying a prayer of thanks, God, for how you are so gracious and patient and merciful, God, to each of us. I mean, how could we not be ripped up by that? So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are in our lives. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for how you proclaim it to us, God. And now will you help us just to proclaim it back because it's the truth. Help us live it, God. Help us live it so we can tell our stories so that people will get excited, not about us, but about you and the work that you do and your saving grace for all that will just believe. Amen.